Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Going to catch up on some rankings here, so let's do power forwards. And where we want to start, of course, is what is a power forward? And our general criteria has been that if you are a... I guess this would be a criterion since it's only one. If you would be a power forward on most teams in the league maybe not necessarily where you've been playing this year or what you're playing for your current team that makes you a power forward and, and that will come into play for a few guys here generally the lines blur a little bit more between power forwards and centers than small forwards and power forwards because i think we kind of default towards making guys small forwards because there's such a dearth of small forwards but we'll talk about specific guys as we get there why we decided to make them power forwards to me if you can't shoot threes or at least be very capable out to shooting lawn twos uh, you're probably a center unless you know you're just too small to guard centers or you play for Tom Thibodeau RIP and you also probably need to be able to guard some on the perimeter have some switchability it's a sliding skill for a lot of things you handle the ball a little bit more than a center would you're more likely to be a power forward if you can put the ball on the floor attacking a closeout where are you standing on offense how would your offense look if you put a center next to you those are a lot of the factors that we consider. Yeah, and the for the small forward, power forward ones, you probably heard about that in the podcast we did. If you haven't, you can listen to it there. But really, for me, there are two distinctions. One is if you absolutely cannot defend the average opposing small forward, like Danilo Gallinari is a good example here. Like Gallinari is a four because he's not really a three. So I think that's a distinction to make. And then also one of the decisions we made in the previous one was to put Ben Simmons as a power forward. He is one of the hardest guys to define because his offensive role and defensive role are very different. But at 6'10", if you were given, you know, like a normal like team, I think that's the the role that is probably the closest approximation. You probably want to put your four on him, maybe your three. And so you could make arguments for probably three different positions, but we're going with power forward for this season. We'll see where he is next season. Yeah, I, he in theory plays point guard for the Sixers in the full court, but then he hangs out in the dunker spot most of the time on offense for them. Has that great ball handling skill. Defensively, you know, I mean, he's just the size of a power forward, you know, a 6'10 guy. If you look at him, doesn't really have the length to be a center defensively does have some more versatility and certainly if you have the versatility to play other positions that's going to bump you up these rankings even if you know your primary position is a power forward and i think that's a good place to start here for my number one guy well, well, i'm going to say one more oh, yeah, thing ahead, sorry. This, this is an important criteria 
element is that this is thinking about basically it's the same as we talked about for top 10 players it's i think of it for the next season and postseason kind of an idea oh, yes. yes so this is not building a franchise this is not winning a game today it is that so if a guy is a better playoff player that helps but if they're a bad regular season guy and as you said versatility pliability malleability all those things really do matter if you only do one thing well well some teams don't need that and that can be a challenge so that will come up a lot in the power forwards because a lot of these players have are very specialized or have specific weaknesses that are hard to reconcile okay thanks for including that yeah i I definitely should have mentioned that for sure so Giannis is my number one guy and he is in his own tier as he was in the top 10 players that we did last week certainly an argument that he is the best player in the nba and uh anthony davis was my number two guy who was in his own separate tier as well tier two uh how does that compare to what you have we could talk about some of our, our rationale there okay so you're you're so we're having davis as a power forward for this yeah because uh as we did last year i know yeah. he played center but if you just look at the position and he's better as a center but if you just look at the position that he would play for most teams to me he's still a, a power forward he conceptualizes himself as a power forward he doesn't want to have to play center that's true and for for most teams it's much easier to find a center to go next to him than another power forward who can shoot or more wings or, or whatever so that's why i think if you put him on most teams he'd be talked about as a power forward he's got the perimeter skills defensively and shooting the ball to be there again I think there's a, a bunch of guys in these lists that we'll look at as like oh yeah this guy actually would be more effective as a center but realistically he kind of fits in a traditional conception of what a power forward is and he also would play that position for most teams we also have the precedent i think draymond green's a good example here of a guy who plays overwhelmingly at a different position in the playoffs but because his primary position is power forward that that's just where we have them so for those who would go in that direction and yeah i think Anthony davis is is better as a center when you can do that but positional scarcity all this kind of so yeah i i mean i had a pretty big difference i mean i had got as the number one player in the entire league well, a week ago and still do and so i think Giannis is separated from davis and i have davis separated from everybody else as well because he is just a i think he has brings a, a much larger possession by possession impact you know davis can have these peaks but he also has times where he's just not as involved in the offense and Giannis is a wonderfully impactful defender so that is not an advantage Davis has on him which he does on damn near everybody else so yeah I I think that there are there are certainly teams that would value these players differently but Giannis I think is that has proven himself to be at a different level this year and then Davis versus everybody else that we're going to talk about he is such a dynamic combination of offensive effectiveness even though i think of him as more of a dependent player you know you need somebody to get him the ball and he can still be really really good but when you combine that with defensive player of the year potential even if it hasn't fully actualized all the time in the regular season that makes him stand out over the other guys yeah and i think his versatility defensively as well his perimeter skills and rim protection just not something that you're really gonna see very often and so this is something i say hey you know if you're gonna in past years you know i voted ad is like the first team all nba center yeah you know that's what he's been playing there's a statistical argument that he's been playing more center he certainly can play center i think he's even better at center but still when you're looking at the traditional conception of what a power forward is and where he would play that's why i have him there i mean Giannis over ad being in a separate tier i think that's very clear i mean Giannis 
the statistical argument is pretty much all in Giannis's favor at this point. I mean, Giannis way more efficient, same type of usage. I mean, this combination of usage and efficiency. I mean, we really have only seen that in a couple of other seasons. KD's 13-14 season, Steph Curry, some of his best years. I mean, there's really not much of 64% true shooting and over 30% usage. I mean, they just don't see that kind of combination very often. And you can also just get Giannis the ball much more easily, just throw it to him and he goes as opposed to ad where you know he can dribble certainly but he's not going to really face up and attack off the dribble from the three-point line against most defenders more comfortable in the post more comfortable pick and pop going for alley-oops and Giannis he'd do a lot of that stuff not really the pick and pop uh and then defensively you know, I think you would say they're pretty similar value uh, to each other this year so uh and Giannis has just been, been on a much better team impact metrics like him a lot more so uh yeah that's why Giannis to me is is in a tier above and then AD would AD be in his own tier for you as well at tier two yes yes he would be and some of that is his capability on both ends of the floor you can use him in different roles i mean the fact that you can play him at center really does add value compared to some of these other guys and i think that he while he's an imperfect player everybody is his flaws are much more manageable like when we get into the other guys there's always a yeah but they're wonderful players and i mean they're going to be you know my top five or whatever we're going to talk about here but it's harder to you know there's something in there whether it's like a weakness in the playoffs or uh, like a role niche or something like that that it's it it's hard to argue that they are a better overall basketball player than Davis even if maybe on specific teams they could be a better fit this is also a good time to provide another reminder which is always important on these sorts of things that don't get as flustered by rankings within a tier those are ones where the lines of division are exceedingly close so for example my next tier has four guys in it that if you're like hey the guy that's number five should be number three okay like my the whole point for me of tiers is you can probably make a reasonable argument to have them in a different order it's more about where they are relative to everybody else and then the order is my personal preference or something else like that yeah we'll get to that next tier right after we talk to you about one of my favorite players to watch actually sat back with my buddy who was up from LA and watched some old Gilbert Arenas highlights I'd forgotten that he really was one of the first guys who was pulling from like really deep he kind of had that quick release set shot so he could get it off from from really far away there's that that playoff series against LeBron where he hit what would have been one of the more famous shots more famous but a famous shot in NBA history except LeBron beat him out on the ensuing possession just hit this crazy like 30 foot three on an inbounds to give the Wizards the lead against the Cavs or some classic series and uh Gilbert also wasn't just known for his playing style but also for being one of the most dynamic personalities in the NBA and that's why you should give a listen to the no chill podcast that, that he started you remember that he was one of the first to actually communicate directly with fans back with his blog in the mid-2000s really before social media took off and now Gilbert is continuing that tradition with huge guests like Kevin Durant, Nick Young, Matt Barnes, Ice Cube, and going to have many more top guests from athletes to actors and comedians. These episodes are an hour long and Gil shares his unique perspective on the game, who's playing, the personalities, everything in between. His co-host slash producer Mike Botticello has worked on the NBA circuit for over a decade and so they're going to dig in on hot topics, trends, burning questions each week. The No Chill Podcast is a healthy dose of all things Gilbert Arena with his stories his ideas and his unique perspective check out every monday for these raw unfiltered and unpredictable 
episodes. The No Chill Podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening right now. Don't forget to check for new ones every Monday, or if you have Himalaya, you can listen a day early. That would be Sunday. Catch up on old episodes and start listening today to the No Chill Podcast with Gilbert Arena. So where to cut off this tier four to me was probably the most difficult. Uh, well, actually, no, I'm sorry. You, you said you actually have how many people in your next tier? Four. Okay, so I have one, and that's in, Blake Griffin. Okay, see, I originally had that, and then I moved Blake Griffin down into the tier with a couple other guys, and the reason why is because I worry that what he does, and and I and moving him into this tier, that's a pretty big jump from where I had him last year. He's he deserves that, and I mean he's had this wonderful season, proven that he can take on a larger role. But offensively, what he does. You know, he's a wonderful regular season player, but I have these real, real concerns about how it's going to work in the playoffs. You face superior defenses. His his own limitations on that end of the floor are going to come into stark relief. And so while there is that meaningful difference in the regular season, the margin there for me was not sufficiently large to say, okay, I would definitely rather have him than, let's say, Draymond Green, who was in this tier for me. I, you know, I have him ranked above him. That is that is the way I would choose it. But to me, the case wasn't definitive enough to have it as a separate tier. Yeah, and, and I think Draymond's regular season fall off to me was uh, what made me move Blake up. And Blake, I mean, he's really had a meteoric rise. It's me. I think I had him at number six last year. And you recall probably a big reason for that was due to health. And But, I mean, he has been the one good offensive player, the one above average offensive player on a team that's going to make the playoffs. And he's just carrying an enormous load. He's doing so efficiently. He's really moved into a different level as a playmaker, as a three-point shooter. And he's just much more difficult to guard now than he used to be towards the end of his Clippers days. And while we saw, I mean, I thought last night was a perfect example. We saw it in person where Blake got shut down when he tried to go one-on-one against Draymond Green, but still overall had a very efficient night because he's able to shoot some three-pointers on four or five pick and rolls when they go under. He's able to handle the ball and get switches go against weaker defenders, find ways to get to the foul line, his free throw shooting. I mean, he's one of the great stories as far as the way he's been able to improve his free throw shooting in his career. Defensively, you know, he's average at best at this point in his career. But I think it comes down to what you're what you'd prefer here i mean i think for a playoff series on a good team blake doesn't really scale that well Draymond green does with his defense and passing whereas blake really kind of has to have the ball to be effective i think you put kevin love maybe who we're going to talk about a little bit in this category too as as a guy who's going to help you get into the playoffs but maybe not help you win at the absolute highest levels but i think he is just so far superior on most teams in the league compared to what the guys below him are going to give you with Draymond uh, being a big one of those that that's why I had him in a separate tier but why didn't you if you if you have anything else to say there I know you talked about a little bit already I think that Griffin he certainly benefits from being you know an offensive engine especially at a position where that is exceedingly uncommon but I don't think of Griffin as so much better than many of the options at other positions. It's just that he can do it if you don't have anybody else. And so I, while Griffin has proven over the course of his career that he can be effective in a smaller role on a very good team, the Lob City Clippers are an obvious example here. To me, he's providing a lot less value in that circumstance. So if you have, let's say Mike Conley, like I would rather have Mike Conley run my offense than Blake Griffin. And 
I don't know exactly where Mike Conley is going to fit in my point guard rankings, but hes I don't think he's going to be like top five or anything. See, I, I don't know why that is. I mean, Blake, Blake Griffin is more efficient with his own scoring. Conley is uh, probably a little bit better of a passer, but Blake is going to draw more help to where he can make more passes. I mean, he, now Conley has no help either offensively, but I really would love to see Blake Griffin playing with some actual shooting on the floor i mean his point guard is reggie jackson who's been okay i, I, I would love to see mike conley play with some actual shooting too yeah yeah no I, I i mentioned that but like it's uh and i think it's just harder to come up with a way to deal with griffin for a lot of teams than it is a, a mike conley for example but and i think blake i'm just so impressed with what he's been able to do considering how limited the rest of this pistons roster is offensively um so that that's why i was uh really higher on him now i do think if you have really good defenders you can stop him because he's kind of still relying on backing down and using his size he doesn't really other than just shooting a straight jump shot off the the pick and roll you know he doesn't really have the ability to face the basket and create his own jump shot so if you have enough size on him where he's not gonna be able to just back down then it becomes a a problem but there's not a lot of teams necessarily uh, that have that i mean most power forwards he's able to kind of just go right through them at, at this point in time and he's able to handle the ball enough that it's not like you can just you know stop him from posting up he can just walk right into a post up uh, off the dribble um so yeah I, I mean i do think he's been really really good this year in a way that i i wouldn't have anticipated i mean before the year i would never have thought that he would be this good and that the pistons would i mean i wouldn't say i never would have thought they'd be in the position that they're they're in but i didn't think that they would do it this way when you consider that some of their other support players haven't had the greatest years okay so now now i think we can compare so i have these next guys in the same tier you have them presumably in a different tier i'll just go through my three the other the other three guys i have in this and it, w- it was really tough because all of them have different strengths and i'm not completely sold on any of them which is also why it was hard to put Blake Griffin here, but there are reasons for that. So my three guys are Draymond Green, Paul Millsap, and Tobias Harris. Oh, right, so you have Millsap way higher than me. That That's really interesting because uh, I just think Millsap is an offensive liability at this point in time. Yeah, I that's... mean, you, you, he's, he's an offensive liability who has a 58% true shooting on 20% usage. Like, he's a low usage guy, but I, I don't think it's fair to be like, oh, he's a huge negative there when he fil- he checks a specific box and he's so great defensively that he he really makes a lot of things happen for the nuggets like is he so great defensively anymore at age this is age 33 season i think so i mean he's not like draymond green or something like that and draymond strengths and weaknesses will be something we talk about soon but yeah i mean the impact metrics still he's the number one true power forward in defensive rpm he when you when you watch the nuggets play i think that that a lot of what they do looks materially better when he's on the floor. That was obviously a part of their fall off last season, though they've, I think they've handled that better overall this year. But yeah, and he's also something that dropped off last year. Some of it might've been due to health is Millsap wasn't the amazing defensive rebounder that he's been a lot of his career. He's back up to 20.4% defensive rebounds. Like that's, that's, that's very good, especially when a guy's playing the four next to a big all of the time. And he's, you know, he's a different type of strong defensive power forward. It's not like Draymond where, okay, you put him in and and a lot of the scheme stuff kind of sorts out from there, but he makes teams better. And I I think a big part of why Denver, when they've been able to put it together defensively, which has been a lot of this year, it's been Millsap driven. Yeah, maybe I'm just underrating him. I had him at like number 11. Uh, Wow. and, And part of that too is, you know, if we're starting the season right now with his age, 
he's missed time with injuries the last couple of years uh, one was a wrist which you know is probably not really predictive of future injury the 4.1 three-point attempts per 100 possessions i mean that is a pretty low number to me i that is just a, a concern i think that their offense runs a lot worse when he's out there and he's not really able to take advantage offensively in mismatches the way he used to you just don't he's not good enough to run things through and then he's either got to hang out in the dunker spot he's not really like a great finisher from that position or he's going to shoot he's shooting 36 percent from three but uh, the low volume is really the bigger issue takes him a long time to get it off as well so yeah i guess i just haven't been as impressed uh, by what he's done this year uh, as i had been i mean and to have him above you know kevin love or tobias harris or is you would rather have Millsap than pascal siakam I had him above Millsap also. Well, Siakam, I mean, it's it's really the question of how much of what he's doing now is 100% real. Like, if it, if everything that Pascal Siakam has done this year is, like, if the, the three-point shooting and everything carries over, then yeah, I, I think Siakam, I like his brand of defense better, and Siakam has a lot more verve offensively, but you know, when somebody shot 22% from three last year, I'm not going to sit there and go, oh, this is all, this is all there. And I, I, I believe, I believe in Siakam. He will do, I believe he will do well in my rankings, but I mean, Millsap is, is a wonderful defender. Like Siakam versus, Siakam versus Tobias Harris was one that I really struggled with because I actually like Siakam better as a player, but it's just, it, it's, it, how do you deal with a guy who broke out this strikingly this quickly and i'm a little bit risk averse with that and so with Millsap, i like what he i mean having having him next to Jokic is such a good safety blanket now does that mean that they will defend super well in the playoffs not necessarily i mean if they face houston let's say in the second round that could be a big big problem for them and Millsap doesn't cure those things that could ail them but i'm okay with that and offensively i mean this ties in i think this this difference of opinion that we have in terms of the value of offense at the power forward position is yeah Paul Millsap is a low usage option there if to me if you have a if if you have a normal team structure you don't need as much offense from that position it's a value add but it's not a requirement and it it certainly helps I mean but but if you're gonna ask me like for example like Danilo Gallinari who we have as a power forward is a massively better power forward as a as an offensive player but you can it's easier to get what he brings at a different spot than what Millsap brings yeah I think of Millsap Thaddeus Young and PJ Tucker as kind of in the same category of guys these days uh and i think Millsap also has slipped a little bit in terms of his individual defense moving his feet it, that's a was another concern uh, for me i mean maybe it's just that he uh, on this denver team the fit on offense just really hasn't worked out as well and that that's been just I, i'm overrating that i mean certainly the impact metrics where he's been in, in his career those things that uh, would support your view of having a little bit higher so part of this is just looking forward to as well i really interested to see what kind of playoffs Millsap is going to have so let's get back to where we were here give me your uh your tier three again Draymond Blake Griffin Paul Millsap Tobias Harris so you have Draymond above Blake Griffin no 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 sorry I, I did Blake Draymond Millsap Harris no no Blake Blake is Blake above Draymond was wasn't something I thought about like what that wasn't as much of a deliberation it was just whether Blake was in the same tier so my tier four is actually seven guys and I really struggled with this Draymond Kristaps Porzingis whom we haven't mentioned it at all yet I think we don't want to lose sight of how awesome he was and he, he was another guy where do you put him as a power forward or as a center 
he's pretty much played power forward so far in his career we don't know if he would hold up physically at center he doesn't really want to play center he said he'd be willing to in certain matchups actually in a, in a quote today i think the mavs plan on using him there a fair amount but so far he's been a power forward so maybe he'll be a center in future years there's a few guys that we're going to get to who you know might end up being centers later but you probably have to put him as power forwards now uh but he i mean he was just so good when healthy that you hope he, he's, he's taking plenty of time off you hope that he's going to be able to come back and be pretty close to what he was I, i'm pricing in that he may not be on quite the exact same trajectory and i'm also pricing in the potential for injury here but to me his contributions uh, on both ends especially i mean his rim protection is just so so good uh, with at seven three i mean if he's in the area it's really really difficult to score over him so that's why i had him a, a little bit higher he's actually my number five guy just due to that upside draymond well, was my number well so four. Let, let me mention with yeah. porzingis he would have been in this tier for me if healthy but without that a big guy dealing with a lower body injury and we just haven't seen him play i i priced that in a little bit so he's in the tier below but yeah if he if i like if he had, let's say he had been on the court a week ago and i had seen him play no question to me he's in this tier yeah and so we're i think we're just counting the injury a little right. bit differently there. right seven um, foot three guys it yeah. just scares the crap out of me yeah and so draymond i think during this regular season has been worse than a lot of the guys below him he's the, my number four right now but I do still think his screening, his passing, his intelligence, he's able to get by offensively, even if he can't finish at all anymore. The three-point shooting actually has been a little bit better lately, although he's still under 30% on the season. And other than one year, he's been around 30% most of his career. But there's still, I don't think there's a single defensive player I would rather have in the playoffs than him. And so I ultimately, and he's had some really nice playoff runs. So ultimately, that's what it comes down to for me of having him a, a little bit higher than some of these other guys. So I got him at four, Porzingis at five, Kevin Love at six. I've got Love uh, above Harris. So you're, I think you're higher on Harris than I am. Let's talk about him a little bit. Sure. Harris, it's it's a little bit of a different case. I, I, I had some trouble with this because Harris spent most of the year playing with Danilo Gallinari, and I am on the record saying that I thought Gallo was having the better year. But I think... Harris fits in better on a larger variety of teams and in the playoffs because he's not a great defender. I think Harris is overrated as a defender, but he still can can do more things and is more viable on that end. And I think that's going to matter to the Sixers a lot and, and it would to any other team. Harris, you know, 60% true shooting, 23 usage. This is the fifth straight season he's been above uh, above average in true shooting, though this is his best season. He's been over 40% from three each of the last two years, taking... 6.6 of them per 100 possessions, which, you know, I, I would like to see that number higher, just like I'd like to see his usage yeah, higher. But but I, I think that's more just due to the circumstances he has been in. I, I think his game, would he could scale up a little bit just if given the opportunity. Now, that opportunity probably will not present itself in Philadelphia, so I'm, I'm arguing a counterfactual, at least for the period of time. And also, I like that Harris is getting to the line a little bit more now you know, that was a big strength of his earlier in his career and then as he's become more of a shooter that's toned down not a surprise that happens to a lot of players but bringing that back a little bit is really useful and that would be be huge for a lot of teams so he's a challenge for me because he is a clear-cut for me complimentary player like he's not Blake Griffin where you want to put the ball in his hands or anything like that so actually maybe in some ways I probably shouldn't have him in the same tier because Blake Griffin is a better version of that 
like of, of parts of that like you can do a lot more with Blake than you can with Tobias Harris but I like that his scheme versatility offensively I think is is really useful you know that he can get his I think he's he's capable with the ball in his hands but he doesn't require it and that is a hard needle to thread for a forward it's a hard needle to thread for a guard and so that means that you can plug and play him in more systems offensively now defensively he's not great and so if you have inferior talent around him then he's going to become a bigger problem but I really do value that sort of a guy and you know that's so I don't know. I, I think that that's useful. And also, I mean, if we want to get in, let's let's talk about Harris and then we'll talk about Kevin Love because that is yeah. another big di- disagreement that we have. Yeah. So Harris, to me, I, I had him at number seven. And yeah, he's he's efficient. He's a good shooter, but not, you know, not quite the type of bomber where you're just like, oh, man, we really need to account for this guy. You're not like running actions for him to take threes necessarily. And I think he's below average defensively, not atrocious, but a guy who at power forward is significantly worse than your average power forward. He's not protecting the rim at all. He's slow on the perimeter. He's not really going to get around screens if you're playing a conventional style not going to stay in front of the best guys he's it's hard to find a great place for him you're generally putting him on some of the guys who who aren't as threatening and then as a help guy he's not really doing that much so i think it's been telling to me that the clippers really haven't missed him particularly since he's been gone and you don't really feel him out there in the game on a night-to-night basis i don't think that teams are really scheming like all right how are we going to stop Tobias Harris he's just not that type of an individual score he's just more of a secondary guy and a valuable one but I just don't see him as someone who puts the best teams over the top that's why I didn't think that Philly putting all their eggs in that basket was necessarily the best decision so I mean I still do have him at number seven um let's uh, talk about Kevin Love who who I have at, at number six I certainly acknowledge his defensive issues. I acknowledge that he's not as effective as at the absolute highest levels due to those defensive issues, due to the fact that the best teams are going to have someone who can handle him reasonably well in the post, that he is kind of reliant on either getting to the foul line or shooting the three. But and he's gone right back to where he was and also the injuries too you know i think you can pencil him in for 20 missed games per year but i mean he's played well since he's uh, come back to cleveland the usual 37 percent for three 13 three-point attempts for 100 possessions which is the most of any power forward on this list the only other guy in double digits is Nikola Mirotic with a 11.9 uh Lowry Markkanen is third in that at 9.6 three-point attempts uh, per 100 possessions that just has so much offensive value especially when he can also go post up and so you're getting a guy who is big enough to defend him in the post away from the rim or you're going to be in a mismatch down low on the block and I think he's just really a, a wonderful offensive player and a guy who might not help you once you get into the second round of the playoffs that much but is really just a huge offensive engine for a team that just, I mean just what's happened to Cleveland since he's come back in particular I mean has, has been remarkable to me so I'm uh, a huge fan of what he can do uh, on offense and another guy who the impact metrics have always thought was pretty good so uh are is your reason for not being as high in him just the his weaknesses that's a big part of it but not all of it I mean so 
for me, the argument, and yeah, Kevin Love, I mean, so the, the Cavs, this is impressive. They have a 113 offensive rating when Love's been on the floor this year, and that's a lot better than they've been otherwise. And I think that gets to the, so there are twin ideas for me with Kevin Love at this point in his career. Obviously, this is this is Kevin Love's age 30 season. This is very different than it would have been at 27 or something like that. I am of the belief that a Love-driven offense can be very good, but not not in that like really elite level, you know, like he's not going to push it that hard. That means that you need other players around him. Like he makes an offense better, but I don't think he makes an offense. And so that that player is valuable. That player is useful to be to be absolutely sure. And the three point stuff is is there. So so yeah, that's a, that's a meaningful positive. Like it's it's it it's not like a Blake Griffin level positive or something like that, but it's still you know meaningful and useful. Then you get to the other end and love. He's so bad defensively that you, you have to account for him. You have to scheme for him. Other teams are going to attack him all the time. He doesn't really have a position or role on that end. So you're sitting there going, okay, how are, how are we going to deal with having him on our team, having him in our lineup? And that is a much more challenging balance to strike when you were not as good offensively to me as he was, you know, and, and remember this is comparing him to like 27, not even like last year or something like that. And so I just don't, I, I don't think it's necessarily worth it as cleanly as it is. And then, I mean, he's borderline unplayable in the playoffs, like after, after the second round. And so that's more of a tiebreaker for me. Like that's not, there, there are guys who are going to be doing fine on my list who have similar concerns but you have that you have the injury history you have the fact that he's now into his 30s and maybe he can be better physically than he has been this year obviously because he's missed so much time but if i'm projecting you know like where his offensive role go where where it goes yeah he's you know 28 usage this year he's been in the mid to low 20s when playing with lebron over the last couple it's a good player it's a useful player but i don't i don't think that guy like let's compare love to pascal siakam someone we haven't talked about yet there are very few teams where i would rather have kevin love than pascal siakam maybe like maybe like two Oh, are you kidding me? No way. I, I think I, I have love above Pascal Siakam, so obviously I'm going to disagree. But like basically every bad team, you'd much rather have Kevin Love. So then you're just going to you're just I mean, every, you're just you're just going to have offensive team. Every bad offense. So so how many truly bad offensive teams are there that are actually trying to win? So like, do well, what, well, what is trying? To, well, because like, I mean, win have to do with it. Well, because if you're, you know, if you're not in that kind of stage of it, I mean, Pascal Siakam, you know, he helps give you a defensive identity. Yeah, if you don't have a point guard, but if you don't have a point guard, you're not going anywhere anyway. So yeah, it can he can move you from 25 wins to 32 wins or something like that. I don't think those are as marginally important. All right, that, that's fair. I think. I mean, uh, Siakam clearly on like this year's Raptors, you'd rather have him. I mean, there's when you're trying to build a team without weaknesses, Siakam can kind of scale a little bit better. It's a decent passer. Does I does need to have the ball in his hands some to be effective? You know, I, I do think when he doesn't have the ball, he's kind of an offensive liability. Uh, the shooting is not quite there in the volume. That's regard, but defensively, his versatility is outstanding. But I think there are a lot of teams that could really, really benefit from what Kevin Love has brought. I mean, and maybe we're overstating a little bit because I don't think that Love is like so unplayable against like, unless you're going up against one of like the top five or so just absolute turbocharged offenses. I mean, Cleveland clearly was able to get by with him the the last few years and still make it to the finals, granted against limited competition in the East. 
Um, Ben Simmons, uh, another one we should talk about. Uh, I have him at, at number eight. I have him. Oh man, why did I have him above Pascal Siakam? That's that's a tough one. I'm gonna actually move. I'm gonna change that. I'm gonna move him down just one below Pascal Siakam, but still put him in the same tier. So I'll have Siakam at eight, Simmons at nine, and Gallo at ten. Um, and, and that closes out my tier four. But Simmons, I, I mean, I've said before, I think he's the most overrated player in the NBA. Um, or certainly right up there. I think he just takes so much off the table offensively other than in the half court i mean the assists look good the rebounds look good although you know he's not like killing people on the offensive glass you know his, his defensive rebounding it's nice for him to grab and go but other people are probably gonna get a lot of those rebounds so the whole triple double thing that as into that and the full court stuff is great but i think he's a negative offensive player in the half court a big counter to that now it's interesting because you and i have him in almost the same spot and i consider myself higher on ben simmons than you i think that's just with where these guys are and because simmons limitations are really important i mean ben simmons i, w- I went through his synergy stuff just because i I've been thinking about him in this context for the last couple days and he's 89th percentile in pick and roll if you include passes 1.07 points per possession well but how many pick and rolls does he even run not that i think it's like 17 percent of his possessions or something like that it's not you know well, like and, nothing. And, and they and his usage is not incredibly high the sixers right. almost never run pick and roll right um, but i mean but he but if, if we're talking about yeah. like that he can do that i mean because remember right, you, right. You, but, but the is, only he's not doing that with like joel and he's doing those with like jj reddick like he needs like to re- do it with like some awesome shooter i think they could try him more in pick and roll yeah but, I, th- I, but think I think on a different yeah. team with a different structure he could do he could do more than than the sixers are, are asking him now it, it might not be as successful but he could i think that there there are different things that we're just not seeing because their team is just so unusually constructed now some of that is because of ben simmons obviously but again that also he he is a force in transition one of the big counters for simmons and i mean i have him ninth so it's not like i'm banging the drum saying he should be higher on this do you want to guess how many shots he's taken 16 feet and beyond this year oh i think four it's actually 21 but he's only made one of them (laughs) and that's not great i mean even even if we're counting him as a power forward taking that few shots and he's taken 875 this season so you know it's not like he's just it's 21 out of 100 or something like that He, he just doesn't do that a lot you don't when he doesn't have the ball in his hands and is on the perimeter it lets teams off the hook you know there's all the stuff that they can do fading back and also Simmons uh, he because of how extreme his weaknesses are it's the hardest to place him on different teams you know like you have to need something very specific and have something very specific for him to thrive outside of that you're going to run into big problems incidentally that's kind of like Draymond Green offensively like I we didn't talk about this as much but Draymond Green outside of the Warriors ecosystem offensively his his flaws would be much bigger problems and he shouldn't and, and he shouldn't get credit for that like we've seen that in in the recent past when Steph and and Durant have missed time this year he cannot scale like you as a score he can pass a little bit more but he he cannot do that and that that's a real problem you know if you were to put Draymond Green on various other teams that don't have this insane amount of offensive talent in their starting lineup his problems are a much bigger deal and that's kind of what Ben I think Ben Simmons is a good representation of where that can cause problems yeah at least Ben Simmons can finish right a little bit although at least Draymond can pretend to shoot a three um let me close out this tier and then we'll do a read uh Danilo Gallinari the health is a concern he's been healthy this year but just he's just been so efficient at 63 percent true shooting and you and I have both talked about how that probably overrates him going forward I'm kind of I'm kind of thinking maybe I should move him down well so uh, so the thing with with Gallo there are 
parallels for me with him and and his current teammate Lou Williams, where you have to to square the idea of that he's a negative defensively, but is he good enough offensively to justify taking the plunge? And the answer for me with both those guys on most teams is yes. Now on certain teams, it's clearly no, and that and that's why he's where he is on the list. And you're right. I mean, 63% true shooting. One of the big parts of that is 44% from three, which is an outlier. But even in the high 30s where he's been before, that's a really valuable player. And Gallo is fifth among all forwards, not just power forwards in offensive RPM this season. And I'm not saying, you know, RPM is not rankings. This is not there. But just to give a framework for how valuable he's been on that end of the uh, end of the four this year in offensive RPM, he's ahead of Kawhi Leonard, Tobias Harris, Chris Middleton. Like that's the year he's having. Now, we both feel that that year is better than we would expect moving forward if we started a season today. But it is worth acknowledging just how good he has been. And when you're playing a guy at the four who can do all that, who can be, you know, 24% usage, can pass the ball, can pass the ball, can help initiate. You can do a lot of successful things with that type of a player. I am going to move down into tier five just because I think I just got caught up too much in what he's doing this year instead of looking forward what we can expect from him, both with the injuries and that the shooting would sustain. Uh, and then, you know, defensively, he's pretty, uh, it's pretty statuesque uh, at this point in his career. Um, so I, I did move him down. So uh, that'll close out my tier four. Once again, Draymond, Porzingis, Love, Harris, Siakam, and Simmons are my four through nine. We will, of course, be posting these rankings on Patreon, patreon.com slash Duncan LaRue. Lots of other really interesting people to talk about. I think Julius Randle is going to be fascinating to discuss. Aaron Gordon's going to be really interesting. The rookies. I'm sure we have some of our favorites that are, uh, we're rating a little higher than most people would. But I want to tell you about Zebit before we do all that. They believe that everyone deserves access to lifelong, interest free credit. You have the power with Zebit to buy what you need and pay over time, interest free. They provide a zero interest credit option for all members, no matter your credit. Score. There's zero cost to join, zero membership fees, zero late fees. With Zebit, Z E B I T, it's just got nothing to do with your credit score. It's not determined by your credit score. Your Zebit account does not impact your credit score. They've got more than 50,000 products in their marketplace, whether it's Xbox, Sony, Apple, GoPro, Fitbit, all at competitive prices. Once again, the amazing thing about them doesn't have anything to do with your credit score, it doesn't impact your credit score electronics barbecues furniture and more maybe you're just starting out from college and you don't have a credit history or you're in a situation where you have a purchase that you need to make check out those more than fifty thousand products in their marketplace with no sign up fees they have a five-star rating on trustpilot and they've earned the trust of hundreds of thousands of customers who shop on zebit sign up for zebit today at zebit.com z-e-b-i-t zebit.com slash capspace and get twenty five hundred dollars credit to shop the zebit marketplace at zero interest and zero cost to join that z-e-b-i-t zebit.com slash capspace easy to remember slash capspace because we talk about all the time around the program for twenty five hundred dollars of interest-free credit that's zebit.com slash cap space and use that slash cap space url let them know that you came from us so we don't i think now that we've gotten below here need to go through the exact order you know i kind of did more in terms of tiers now but i distinguished between some of the guys that i saw as either real big positives on defense and like adequate offense 
and just it or the opposite like really really good offense difference maker on offense and you know decent enough defensively with the guys that are kind of like all right these are just starters who are fine and not going to kill you but you know they're not really going to make a huge difference on either end even if they're not necessarily hurting you either so here here's my next five gallo who you convinced me to move down paul Millsap, thaddeus young great defensive season for him pj tucker who has moved i moved up a lot uh after seeing how valuable he was in the playoffs last year. And then Nikola Mirotic is the other one, just because he is such a three-point bomber. He's a great guy to have around to open things up for the rest of your team. We saw how things changed for New Orleans when he was healthy last year. Those injury history is a little bit of concern. So those are the five guys that I had, and I differentiated them from... A few other guys who I don't necessarily, there's a few of these don't quite fall in the category, but you're sort of solid starters like your Aaron Gordon, Marcus Morris, Afru Kaminu, Marvin Williams, those type of guys. Does that make sense to have those five guys I mentioned first as being in a different category from the other guys I mentioned? And there's a few others that I haven't talked about yet, like a Julius Randle, John Collins, like those are a little harder to classify for me. I do think it's justified because I ended up doing something pretty similar. So the way yeah. I the way I described it for these next two tiers was above average starters and then definite starters. And so what above average starters is to me, they're bringing more to the table or they're taking less off. You know, it's really one or the other because if they did both of those things, then they'd be higher. And so for me, I didn't move Gallo down this far. He's, you know, he's more of the bottom of the last year for me, but it, Thaddeus Young, Nikola Mirotic are in mine. I had Millsap above and Kevin Love. So those are my only three here. PJ Tucker was a close omission for me. He is in, in the definite starters, but not the above average ones, just because I'm not all the way there. You know, I, I think Thaddeus Young has been better defensively this year than PJ Tucker. It's a close call. And then those guys offensively, it's, it's, it's kind of about what your, what your team needs. And I, I kind of like some of what Thaddeus Young does, even though I wish he just was willing to shoot more threes. That would really help. And, you know, age for both those guys, we'll see where they go moving forward. I mean, yeah, PJ, that's a concern. It, 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 it really yeah. is. And so, so that was where, where I kind of separated out was the, was the idea. And like having love here, I admit that I'm, I'm lower right now. I just want to see where he is for the rest of the season. And I'm a little bit cautious about how his game is going to age, not in terms of like three point shooting or anything like that, but in terms of the usage that he can take on and where his game goes defensively. Because I know a lot of like, there are a lot of people who did this. I remember Paul Pierce was an example of this of like, oh, he's not a great athlete. So him losing half a step or a step isn't that big a deal. No, it is a huge deal for players who are already not physically gifted because then when they lose anything, it becomes, it gets even harder. And so I, I think that's something I just need to watch him more. It's very possible that by the end of this season, I'll be like, okay, Kevin Love, you're, you're in the tier above. I'm totally fine with that. So, and Miritich, you and I have both been, I, I mean, I've been on him since he was, since he was a draft prospect. He was just somebody who fascinated me. He fits in a lot of different systems you know can can hit open shots not as bad defensively like he, he i think the euro label actually unfairly hurts him you know he get, he can get after it he's not perfect he's not you know like a thaddeus young or anything on that end but he can he can help out a team he's not taking as much away and so that's why to me he is above some of the more op offense over defense guys like let's say john collins or you know somebody of that ilk who just because because Miritich takes less away on his negative side then he's more viable in more situations and circumstances and surrounding teammates yeah tucker I, to justify why i was a little higher than the new the ability to play small ball center 
to switch really one through five being affected so much of what he's done made houston's defense viable last year and he was the biggest part of that and their defense was outstanding last year in the playoffs so we'll see whether he's still got it there offensively there always concerns me he will get those timely offensive rebounds in the clutch every once in a while not an amazing defensive rebounder though and the shooting waxes and wanes i mean he's definitely makes plenty of corner threes above the break i'm still not as much of a believer in him finishing around the rim is a little bit of a problem as well attacking off of a closeout not something he does a ton of as a role man he's adequate at best you know which is something that he needs to do in that houston system with james harden trying to get the switch or or you know, go after the weakest defender they do have to throw it to that role man every once in a while if there's a double team but i was just so impressed with with his defense and as someone who doesn't really have any defensive weaknesses i think he's just so important in the type of system that you're trying to create um young you know i think he's not as good defensively well i let me change up i think young can be a better one-on-one guy a lot of times than tucker especially against quicker players who are going to face the basket tucker can be a little slow um young also has some of those defensive rebounding issues uh but he's much better offensively than tucker as a one-on-one guy like he has the ability to attack mismatches in the post which is not something that tucker really is going to do so i think those guys are are about equal here um let's talk about some of these uh, i mean i think we're kind of in agreement of where guys like aminu and marvin williams and marcus morris i mean those those guys are all kind of just you know i think that i would have them above the jeremy grant jamichael green group of guys uh, or or guys who are kind of similarly one way on the other end like your kyle kuzma bagley would be in that category john isaac would be in that category as more of like a defensive guy with offensive limitations so i have those guys in a tier below but for like morris aminu and williams like those guys at least you know have enough two-way ability but it's very tenuous for those guys as we'll see when we're going through some of our risers and fallers especially if you're relying on three-point shooting you know it can kind of change there um anything to say on like that kind of category a guy is just like all right you know a solid starter maybe a below average starter type but he's not incredibly dynamic I actually drew the line pretty differently from you. So for me, the definite, the definite starter group was guys that provide, you know, provide enough value. And then you're, you're just kind of sitting there wondering if they can deal with it. So how I drew it between, so I have definite starters and then fringe starters. And what does that, what does that mean? You're sitting there wondering if they can deal with it. Wondering if they can deal with their weaknesses. Like, so John Collins is a great example here. So like John Collins strengths are amazing but you're sitting there thinking can can't or or is it justifiable like can can a team we've talked about this with the hawks before like can you build a sufficient enough defense around him but i so i had in in that definite starter group so this is if you want to think about it in terms of numbers it's my 14 through 18 guys i'm not numbering my rankings anymore but these guys and so i just trust them a little bit more i do think that's the biggest the biggest differentiator or maybe they're viable in different systems and i again this this was the hardest line for me to draw in terms of tears and it's my group was Aaron Gordon, Alfred Aminu, John Collins, PJ Tucker, and Jeremy Grant. Collins was the hardest guy to include here because I still don't exactly understand what his ideal role is defensively, how you how you make this work, because a guy who can patch up what he does defensively is going to screw up their spacing offensively and all, the, all those sorts of issues there. But he's so damn effective and has been such a godsend for their offense that, you know, we, we've talked about this with Kevin Love. Like, there are other guys like that and not that they succeed in remotely the same way. And Jeremy Grant, like, I just, I really like what he does defensively. Not the same type of guy as P.J. Tucker, but... I, a low again maybe this is just me valuing low 
usage, defensively capable power forwards more than you. But I, I, I like him better than somebody like Marcus Morris, where Morris takes, you know, I, I don't think of him as having as much defensive upside. He's more of like a stable participant. And Morris's penchant for taking bad shots and inopportune moments is something that I've never been super comfortable with. Yeah, I mean, Morris was shooting the crap out of it early this year. He's 38% from three now, but not a guy that you're going to leave at the three-point line. And then I think he's an underrated guy one-on-one against, you know, say your Giannis's and your LeBron's and your Kevin Durant's, like those type of guys. He's got pretty good size and toughness against those players. I agree. I'd like to see fewer ISO long twos from him. He never gets to the rim or does anything there um so he's someone who could easily fall off and kind of has been falling off a, a little bit um jeremy grant the 38 percent from three is good but the volume just is not there he still is not really getting guarded and i think he's a big underrated problem having him at power forward for like why okc's offense just has been less effective i mean it's really he might look better on a different team where your point guard is a better shooter and you have a higher volume guy at the two and maybe your center can shoot it a little bit you know he's probably in the place where he's going to kill you the most offensively well and beyond that grant is in a tough spot in terms of portioning credit defensively the thunder are magnificent on that end with their you know with a lot of their starters but they have paul george who we've both said is a you know are they magnificent i mean they're like below average the last two months well this wasn't that a lot of that that being the backups that was my memory uh, i could be wrong yeah i i, I my memory was I this was let me all everything but give uh, give me give me a second okay so the uh, what i'm using is the filter here is i'm using grant adam and jo- grant at stephen adams and paul george because but westbrook's missed time i think that's probably that's the group that i'm talking about over the season the thunder have a 104.3 defensive rating that's 94th percentile that's really good yeah uh, and i think grant's ability to switch you know i don't know that he can really play a small ball center he kind of had to do that last year and that was that was pretty difficult for them uh, on their second units but certainly i I think his mobility uh, helps a lot i I think he's a solid player and a solid starter i just uh, the offensive limitations had me a a little bit lower you know i like guys who are just a little bit more two-way than that i don't think he's a difference maker defensively the way someone like Millsap, tucker or young would be um here's another question how do you deal with and john collins was one these like really offensive guys julius Randall's on I me. Mean, Randall for his own offense, excellent season, near 60% true shooting, 27 usage, even actually taking a few threes here and there, hitting 33% of those, although it takes him so long to get to get it off that he's not really a doesn't really count as a floor spacer and he's usually looking to drive first on those plays. So I, I'm not going to give him too much credit there, but he has he will at least shoot it when left completely wide open now. But his defense has been atrocious. He's been a big part of the problem there. And he can't play center defensively. So as a limited shooter, you have to play him next to another traditional center. He's lucky enough to be able to play next to AD a lot of the time. But if you're playing next to a center who doesn't have any range, which you're going to be on a lot of teams, that makes things difficult. We saw with the Lakers, he really kind of had to play as a small ball center, do some switching. He can't really be a traditional type of help defender. So what do you do with that? You know, I mean, to me, like his scoring is useful but he's also in a lot of ways not really a starter he's really more of a six-man type of guy to me who on a, on a good team would finish games some nights and wouldn't other nights that's about where i ended up with him my one of my misgivings is i actually have a tier between not i'm not talking like i have john collins in tier six and i have randall in tier eight and that's probably unfair <laughs> i'm just so pissed tier- off at you 
simply mentioning tier eight is like pretty funny. Well, I, I just got, I've, I'm so angry with Randall at this point that, you know, it's kind of like the idea of like, maybe, maybe John Collins is going to figure it out where I'm completely convinced that Julius Randall won't. And yeah. that's not fair. I mean, the difference between those guys offensively is not as significant as, as that would be. And both of them yeah. defense is a weakness, but I guess the yeah, idea of Collins has more potential as a help. To Absolutely. He does. And, and the, and corrigibility does matter. You know, like if you, if, if there's a possibility that you can make it work and something else like that and randall was a part of a good defense as recently as last year though he was but you it needs to be something very very specific like i mean i think think well i i don't know because new orleans i mean he's not the only problem and certainly he's been kind of trying to get his in terms of scoring and and like just you know the whole culture there has not been good defensively all all year so i'm I'm not willing to totally write him off here i i am i I'm not willing to fully write him off, but my expectation As a defender, is obviously. my expectation is that it's just too hard to build a team where he where he's a starter and they're actually like good overall. Because again, it's the idea of the added value of him offensively. I think that most teams he he helps them, but as a starter, I think he's taking more off than he's putting on, and he is so hard to scheme around. Like there there are guys who are who are smaller or who are larger negatives than he is, but at least you can put them in, and they're not they're not screwing up the worst. You don't have to put specific guys around them. I mean, a player with his usage who also, we don't really trust their jump shot. Like it, it's a lot to get to a level where you're, where you're willing to tolerate. And that's also why Julius Randall is one of the single most interesting free agents this year for me, not only in terms of how much money he gets, but what teams are interested because there, there's a group. I mean, I think he could help almost everybody in, if you gave him a, a, a specific enough role, but the idea of like, okay, who does he really elevate? Is something I'm genuinely unsure of. Larry Markinen, another interesting one. I still had him in high teens, low 20s area. His overall efficiency on the season is right about league average. He does space the floor quite a bit. He brings some defensive concerns as well. Lineups with him at center have defended very poorly, so he doesn't really have that level of versatility. He can switch a little bit, but not amazing at that either. I don't think he's great guarding the guys in the post when that becomes necessary. He's not atrocious defensively, and he tries, but I think of him as a below average defender. The shooting, his two-point scoring has been a disappointment this year but that shooting could just be so nasty and he has had moments where he's looked really really good so i'm not i don't know where to put him as a player right now you know especially with this bulls team being so screwed up with all the injuries and just the point guard play being so lacking and marketing himself missing time at the start of the year and uh, rotating cast around him throughout his bulls career so i don't know what to make of him yet given his shooting ability you'd think i'd be a little bit higher on him but i i just i need to see a little bit more with the shooting or a little bit more defensively to where you can either say all right this guy's got some two-way ability or he's really a difference maker on offense and he's not there yet but this is only his age 21 season he this isn't talking about him necessarily as a prospect but just how good he is right now maxi kleba i assume since we both have really liked that guy that you were pretty high on him i i think he provides some rim protection solid switch man gets out in transition shooting about league average from three when needed Uh, he's another guy who isn't amazing in any one area 
but just is solid at just about everything that you need him to do and so that's why i, I like him as a starter level of performer going forward even though and he's he's older than you think he's been 27 but even though he's not been someone who has seized a starting role yet in his career i ended up with a pretty big group here it's uh, and i did put a descriptor on it It was fringe starters who probably do start due to need because this is 19 to 30 so if you think that there are 30 starting spots now some centers some guys that we have listed as centers start the four some you know all those sorts of things apply and so some of these guys do have starting roles some of them do not but i'll I'll just run through the whole list and then we can talk about some of them marketing i mean he, he could easily move up into a higher tier he just hasn't gotten all the way there yet especially i mean i'm concerned that last year you know we were sitting there going oh man he's under 50 percent from two and he's at 49 percent this year so that's something that I, I think could be could be better for marketing moving forward and i i think he will move up from here he just hasn't yet so marketing marvin williams marcus morris kuzma jaron jackson jr Jay Crowder, whose spot in this tier is getting a little bit tenuous. I, I'm falling out of I love think, with him. I thought we had him in small forwards. Oh, we might have. I just, I, I hadn't seen him on my list. Yeah. I'm, I'm mentioning yeah, him anyway. Yeah, he, he's... Uh, uh... It's interesting that you have Kuzma this high. I, I'm I'm lower on him than you, but uh, we can yeah. talk about that okay. in a second. Uh, and this is, and again, these are not in any sort of an order. I just when, once I figured once I put the box together, then I just started throwing guys in the box. Dario Saric, Davis Bertans, who we haven't talked about at all yet. I mean. Damari Carroll, Nemanja Bjelica, Maxi Kleba, and call it a luxury pick, but he's also been wonderful defensively this year. Jonathan Isaac. I think uh, Marvin Bagley and Jaron Jackson Jr. are really interesting ones. So that- right now both guys who we might see as being centers down the road but Bagley has played 92 percent of his minutes at center this year Jackson has played 74 I'm sorry Bagley has played 92 percent of his minutes at power forward this year Jackson has played 74 percent and we've also seen them both be way more effective at power forward where at center especially Jackson the Grizzlies really got killed with him at center on the second unit but Jackson rates out as a defensive positive right now I think he actually is being undersold offensively just because he hasn't been asked to shoot threes at all but I think he could eventually have now he's not going to be this crafty of a player in the post but I think he could have somewhat of a Kevin Love type of impact where he can really stretch the floor. And this is eventually, not necessarily now, but could really stretch the floor and then get into the post against smaller players for some of those hook shots. So I, I think he could actually provide a lot more on offense if you were being asked to spot up more. And we'll see whether he would, what type of a percentage he would shoot on a larger volume of attempts. But certainly in the summer league type of setting, we've seen him just absolutely bomb it. And how much that would go in is an interesting question. Bertans has started a few games for the Spurs but largely has come off the bench but his shooting has just been really really good and that does make a huge difference and and defensively you know I'd kind of put him in a similar category to Markkanen as a bigger guy who's maybe a little more athletic than you think but ultimately it doesn't make a huge positive difference on that end but certainly a guy to watch going forward carol i didn't look at i i had him in the the small forward category as well Dario sharich uh, someone whose star really seems to have fallen a little bit after getting rookie of the year buzz and that very limited rookie of the year crop in 16 17 but now that he's gotten to where you know nba players go to be forgotten in minnesota uh, he hasn't even been starting for them Still shooting it okay at 36%, but the hope that he could become more, he's still a deft interior passer, but not someone who's really going to attack very much. He'll get into the post every once in a while. And then defensively, 
there's a pretty limited player there so kuzma you mentioned though i i think i have him a little bit lower than some of these guys we're talking about just because he's not a defensive positive he tried a little harder this year but overall not a defensive positive he's unlikely to become so with his limited tools and then he's had some big scoring games but just not shooting it well enough from three if he's in the high 30s and three i I probably would feel a little bit differently about him he's shooting 30 percent from three and a pretty high volume and so if the ball is not going to go in for him then you know that really from downtown he's really more of kind of a bench scoring forward than he is a starter level player to me i think i give kuzma more credence than a lot of the other offense first offense only guys because i like his overall offensive game so much you know not necessarily the shots he takes but you know that he yeah. can do more with the ball in his hands he's I think. very skilled sure. yeah and and i i kind of feel like okay if you give him different roles different surrounding teammates maybe those things can come can come to the spotlight and shine a little bit more and defensively yeah he's he's not great but uh, i i don't know i'm i'm i guess i'm just willing to tolerate his misgivings more i want to spend a, a little bit of time talking about davis bertans be for one specific reason and that's that well i think markinen can show a more varied game Mar- what bertans is doing this year and yeah i mean i, I wouldn't expect him to shoot 44 percent from three on 10 per 100 possessions for the rest of his career but in in many ways bertans is an, kind of an actualized version of the low usage part of Markkanen. That's why Markkanen is special is because I think he can do more than Bertans has been asked to do. But yeah, that I mean, Bertans is 14% usage and, right. and Markkanen is 25%. Right. And so, but, but Bertans, you know, being that hyper-efficient guy who you have to defend out there. And I think he, it's always hard to give credit for Spurs guys defensively. And like, you know, cause they have, they, their system has succeeded. And even though they're not, you know, I think they're like 21st in defense this year, they've been pretty good when Bertans has been on the floor yeah. and their yeah. defensive fives are not nearly as strong this year as they have been at other points Bertans also doesn't rebound yeah I don't love I don't love that either but offensively a guy that you have to just keep track of that's something that I do really value and he he gets up a lot of shots and he doesn't take bad shots which I I, I'm a sucker for that too like I I, I'm so much more tolerant of that than like Marcus Morris's stuff sometimes even though obviously Morris is, is a better defender and all these other type of things so it is you know that's why I like having guys like that in the same tier is because on depending on the circumstance you you would definitely prefer one or the other yeah Sharch, i've been very pleased that saunders has really turned to him as the starting four since i think that was like mid-february and he's been he's been fine i was hoping Sharch would show a little bit more in that role but i still think he's going to be their starting four next year unless they happen to use the mid-level exception on that for some reason and we'll we'll get to see a little bit more from him next year but yeah and there are a lot of guys in this tier and so i actually have you brought up marvin bag I have Bagley, you know, first of all, I think of him as a five uh, rather than a four eventually, though that's not, you know, his role right now is a little bit fungible in that because he's playing a lot with Giles. But Bagley, you know, his offensive gifts, I think I undersold it, you know, what he can what he can bring to the table there and you know, his second jump is wonderful. He it can he can have these nice defensive plays where he's in position and can just can just do something from there. Now, if he has to move his way into position, if he has to read the play, I'm still not all the way there yet. But he is absolutely somebody 
I have him in the definite rotation players, like you should give him minutes, but I don't think he should start yet. But he could move up easily and pretty quickly, even if I prefer him at, a, at the five than the four. I think what, because he's had some big games lately, we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves with him, where certainly the scoring and rebounding has been solid. It's not as efficient as you would like for the type of player that he has only three points above average in terms of his true shooting. But, you know, 24 usage is very solid. And the three point shooting isn't there yet, only 31%. You know, that makes him just a difficult fit offensively at the four. You know, that's part of why we see him as a five, because I don't know if that real bomber from three is ever going to emerge for him. And then, of course, there are massive defensive limitations. So I'm not sure that he's a positive player at this point in time. He can score efficiently, although not devastatingly so. And rebound but he doesn't do anything else other than that at this point in time so i'm not uh as far as just exactly what he is right now i'm not quite as high in him maybe as some are uh wancho hernan gomez someone who we perpetually are higher on than everyone else started off playing extremely well this year though mostly at the three shot it very well suffered some kind of a core muscle injury it seemed like it has been out of the rotation with the return of some of their guys but he kept them afloat for a while the three-point shooting has dropped off a little bit you know that's really the big variable for him he's had moments where you know he's looked like a solid high 30s three-point shooter good volume i like his size and versatility i think he does have some switchability he's good on the boards so he's someone that still i would be targeting for a larger role somewhere and someone who maybe could emerge into being one of those guys who's not going to be you know someone who's not going to have a ton of weaknesses and doesn't take things off the table for his teammates so uh, i'm higher on him than a lot of these guys he's been buried now again in denver jerry parker i guess we could discuss him briefly before we get into our like risers and fallers here as we're we're getting pretty into the weeds at this point ah jabari parker i mean he certainly put up some numbers as a member of the wizards and there is a place for guys with his extreme strengths but is that place a starting lineup no i mean it isn't and there there are lots of different ways that a second unit can work offensively so if you need a a jolt at that position let's say your other spots are spoken for maybe it's a young developmental point guard or something like that you can do it but for me another group that is always hard are players who can play rotation minutes but that you wouldn't want them to do more than that like if you're if your starting power forward gets hurt you don't want to put jabari parker in that role and there's a lot less utility there than for somebody like I don't know. I, you could you could think of a bunch of different examples here, but like like maybe even like Ersan Ilyasova. Like okay, you put Ersan Ilyasova in your. I don't I don't like him as a starter, but if you put him as a starter, it's not going to like totally change who you are in all likelihood. Other than having a guy try to drop million charges. And with Jabari Parker, if you have him in your starting lineup, he is a focal point of of what you do, and more importantly, what your opponent does. And those <laughs> those types of guys, I just have a lot of trouble with. If you can't if you can't increase it, it's the same thing like with a backup point guard that ca- that isn't a good starter you know they're, right. they're just not as useful yeah there's certainly the plug and play ability between jabari parker and you know someone like jeremy grant or jermichael green or even you know a taj gibson where you can come in and get good professional play that's not going to kill you whereas jabari might give you some scoring but he is also you know going to lead to things falling apart defensively okay so biggest risers this year Pascal Siakam oh yeah totally off the radar last year I mean now he's in my he's my number eight overall guy uh Blake Griffin going from three or or six to three to me that's actually like a pretty big jump in my mind um let's see who else really bumped up John Collins uh is taking a major step forward this year to be sure 
Uh, Tobias Harris and Gallo each went up a tier for me. That's that's yeah. important. Miritich went up one, and I mean, part of what yeah. that, he did well in the playoffs last year, and he's succeeded in a couple of different circumstances now. I, so, I'm, tr- I'm trying to yeah. remember where I had Thaddeus Young. Oh, there we go. Uh, Thaddeus Young's in about the same place. I I, I think I like yeah. him more than I did last year, but he it didn't necessarily produce produce any real fruit yet. Jeremy yeah. Grant is another big riser for me. PJ Tucker for me. Yeah, yeah. Both those guys went up, I believe, at least one tier. Um, fallers. Well, I had Carmelo Anthony at number ten <laughs> last year. Whoops. I, I mean, I think it, it was just at that point in time, teams hadn't really started trying to exploit him. Um, and I think we did this a, a couple months earlier last year. Yeah, we did it. We did it right before New Year's. Yeah. So you know, it wasn't clear how bad he was going to be off or defensively. There's a feeling that his shooting would would come around. I mean, he was still coming off a season where he's averaging you know well over 20 points and league average efficiency with with the Knicks. And I, I think we've still even just our own understanding of how valuable really is volume scoring when you're not setting up your teammates um and i think we i've always tried to be ahead of the curve on devaluing guys like that but uh you know i think it's been another step there and just seeing seeing how carmelo just we thought maybe he could scale going to okc some with playing with better players and he just couldn't do it at all and then you know obviously he failed again in that role with the rockets this year and so he's now out of the league and maybe for the foreseeable future so uh, you know this could be it for him so to go from number 10 which obviously i mean that was clearly wrong he wasn't the number 10 power forward that was more just trying to give respect to what he'd done from the knicks and expecting him to bounce back which clearly never happened i had Melo 17th so i feel better about that but in that same tier i had a couple of guys that we can talk about for followers ryan anderson oh yeah he's like basically out of the league at this point Jabari Which Parker, I, who's fallen. I don't quite understand why that is. I mean, maybe he just had that ankle injury and is just not the same. But he he could. I mean, so I will say this: there, I think there's a chance that Ryan Anderson ends up being one of the better contracts signed next summer because he. I presume he's going to get cut so that the the my the Miami Heat or whoever, if they trade him, you, can you save think a it's going to be he'll get waived and stretched. He'll get waived and stretched, or just waived, depending on where Miami's luxury tax stuff is, and that he'll sign somewhere for the minimum and end up helping them. Like that wouldn't surprise me in the least. Yeah, and I, I mean he basically. Basically, you know, was good last year for Houston, got hurt, struggled in the playoffs, played like seven games with the Suns, and got taken out of the rotation, and that's all we've seen of him this year. Right. And this, that's a little, that's bizarre. And another guy who we haven't talked about, even though you and I have both liked him for a while, I mean, this has been such a lost year, is James Johnson. I just don't know exactly where where he's going, you know, Ben can kind of been bouncing around when when guys who rely on who rely on physical strength and intensity get a little bit older and they lose a little bit of a step whether it's due to injury age or both and it might be both in his case then it gets harder and so i i just don't know he might he might prove me wrong if he has a a good close to the season maybe he can do some stuff in the playoffs or strong start to next season i could see him back or similar to where i had him before Aaron Gordon, I had at number eight last year, but remember he had been shooting really well at the start of last year, and we thought maybe some of that would be real, and as it's turned out, almost none of it has been. He has been passing it better this year, but you know, I just have him in the sort of mass solid starter category at this point in time. Maybe on a different team with better point guard play, things might be a little bit different for him. Um, 
Serge Ibaka is going to be a center. He was playing power forward at this time last year. So he's out. Uh, Markeith Morris was kind of in the solid starter category for me, and he got straight up waived this year. So, uh, and he struggled with some injuries to be sure, but really, you know, I mean, he's kind of middling backup level of production. I think that's where he's at at this point in time. And he's a guy who never has quite developed to the level we thought he would with the jump shot and then has had some serious declines in athleticism even in the last two years I mean you remember we thought the Wizards would be sunk because he got injured in the, the first game of that Celtic series and he came back and was able to contribute and help them force it to a game seven but now you know I mean he's like there's a question of whether he should even be playing in OKC right now three and D players you know the idea of like when they take a step back or if the shot just stops falling get in there but I something I noticed going through my rankings last year was that group of power forwards who probably are not starters like that the value of those guys can vacillate so some guys that were in, I had a tier like 5.5 and so it was you know kind of like fringy starter type of things but I'm gonna mention some of those guys who we haven't even discussed at all in this podcast Jermichael Green Trey Lyles oh, I, I mentioned Jermichael Green. oh okay Trey Lyles uh, in passing Rondé Hollis Jefferson yeah Rondé I mean he he's a year older and is like out of the rotation right now and I mean he he played prominently in that comeback win in Sacramento but mm-hmm. that was kind of a last ditch insertion as a small ball center right and so I, I think with those guys you you run into the issue of just how are they looking at the given moment and I think for me the bigger takeaway is unless you have a a real clear positive that isn't fading probably not a good idea to give those guys serious money especially not for multiple seasons unfortunately for those guys they're free agents this year um what about kyle anderson what do you what do you make of him i mean i have him kind of in the you know solid backup type of category i mean he's just too bad of a three-point shooter which is a shame because he does most other things well but there's just but he's not i shouldn't say most other things well because he's not overall a great score he's too low of a usage guy and you know not so outstanding defensively in like one-on-one matchups that i'm just like eager to give him those matchups and you know just a massive offensive liability overall i have him in that tier of guys that are i think deserve rotation minutes when they're healthy but they're not you wouldn't want them starting on your team and because they're not in that top 30 or whatever you probably won't have to and he was you know i I was shocked at how much of a a positive he was for san antonio last year and this year i mean one of the big things that sidetracked him is injuries but anderson you know his defense has always been a little bit uh, he's gotten a lot there have been times when it seems like he's gotten a lot of credit like from the from the black box metrics and i've never been completely sure like oh he's a huge he's been like that huge a positive but then remember last year san antonio spurs team really defended and they basically didn't have Kawhi. so i understand why some of that credit went to anderson and they had Dejounte and all these and they didn't have demar de and all these other things so yeah i mean and also something that's worth noting so that group so i have like from 31 to 43 i'm not going to rattle off all of them but the resources required to bring those guys in for some of them is is really not that much i mean anthony tolliver got the biannual this year he's in that group for me ojale is basically out of the rotation in boston though i still really like him as as a player and so sometimes players get into this group and get a lot of money like i think james johnson is the example there i have tj warren here as well those type of guys and and sometimes you do that because you think they'll get better that they'll move up a couple tiers in the future bagley's an obvious example there and sometimes those are those are just guys that end up getting overpaid anderson's probably a good example there all right i think that's uh that's all i've got here uh let's pack it in. anything you want to talk about before we go well we should mention the nba cast that we are we're going to be back on tuesday with it's bucks rockets right 
Oh yeah, it's gonna be an yeah, awesome. That game. was that was a really fun game. The first time around with that crazy strategy they they played against Harden. Yeah, so we'll be back for that. For those of you who who have not experienced it, it is Nate and I providing live commentary on the game. Now the visual feed, you know, we have have some cool bells and whistles with advanced stats. And we now that we are on on YouTube, also that means we have a pause button. So especially if you're an inter- international streamer, but really wherever, if we are ahead of you, that is now a completely fixable problem. If you are ahead of us, there are still things that need to be done, but usually DVRs and things like that can do it. But it's a fun way to watch the game. You can interact with us. We take questions on all of the different platforms that we're on. I'm usually perusing it as well. And this will be a particularly strong game for it. All right. And of course, once the playoffs get started, we're going to be doing it just about every night that the Warriors don't have a home game. So that's uh, it's really a lot of fun to do some play by play. And we will talk to you all tomorrow. Till then. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.